Well, good morning, everybody. I uh, don't know about you, but I missed the white pants memo. Uh, so I don't feel safe or welcome here today. Like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I messed up. So uh, no, seriously, that just happened. That was weird. Um, so it's all good. Uh, welcome to Northridge. Whether you are here and I can see you, you're in the room, and some of you are back for the first time in a while, so it's been awesome to see some of your faces for the first time in a while. Or if you're joining us by video, online, audio, video, or whatever, whether it's Sunday morning or you're listening now later on however you're here with us we're glad you're here this is a good day to worship God every day is a great day to worship God and we want you to know something that that we know is important to you we want you to know it's also important to us that this is a safe place a safe community a safe group of people where you can be and ask the questions that you have about God, about faith, about the Bible. Even if you're here and you'd say, I'm not even on a journey of faith yet because I'm not even sure if I believe in God yet. No matter where you are, no matter where you are in your faith, we're just glad that you're here. And uh, this is a safe place for you to ask the questions you have. So I want to start by doing something because we're in this series called Different for a Change. We've been in this series for the whole summer, right? We're talking about 12 things that we can consider, that we can think about doing that will change your life for the better. Make you more faithful in your following of Christ. Make you better as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a mom, as a wife, as a just a follower of Christ as a person. And so uh, what I want to do is I want you just to stop for a moment, and I really want you to think about this. I want you to answer this question in your mind. What are the most important things in your life? And probably, by the way, they're not things. I get that. But what's most important to you? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a, an extra step on this. Some of you will do this. Some of you won't. I understand. But I just I want you to make sure that you have this in concrete, like really known. And so if you need, if you have something to write with, I want you to jot down three, four, five of those things, those people, those activities, your health, uh, persons, whatever it is. I want you to, maybe you want to put it in your phone. Maybe you're, you're kind of like, hey, I can type it in my phone. Whatever it is. I want to just take, I want you to take like 30 seconds. I'm going to keep talking, but I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to write down the most important things in your life. Whether they're things, whether they're people, who they are. You can write family. If it's like there's a whole group of people, family and friends. It doesn't matter what's on your list. Just what's most important in your life? What's most important? Okay? So jot it down. Think about it. Have it ingrained in your brain. Okay? Because we're going to come back to that a little later. All right? So as you're doing that, I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine that my dad is sitting in a quiet space by himself and he's reflecting. He's thinking about his life. He's thinking about how life has gone. He's thinking about how good life has been. And he's thinking, he's praying, he's listening to God's voice. Have you ever been in that space? Are you just quiet? There's literally nothing else going on and you're just trying to download from God? what he has for you, just imagine that space. 
Now I want you to imagine that he's thinking through the things that he's done that maybe he could do more of and the things that he is thinking maybe he should have done less of or could have done less in life and would have made life even better. And in that moment, I want you to imagine my dad is writing things down that he's hearing from God. And in the midst of that, he gets down kind of closer to the bottom of the list. He's written several things, as you know, because we've been a long time in this series. And so he's down toward the bottom of the list. He's still writing things down, and he writes today's phrase. So just understand the context. He's reflecting. He's understanding, what can I do different, better? And he writes today's phrase, which is, watch less, read more. Interesting. Now, Right out of the gate, I want to ask this question. What was he really thinking? What was my dad thinking when he wrote this phrase? Right? That's an important question, I think. And some of you are probably asking, well, what is he really talking about? Watch less, read more. And right away, at least where I go, I don't know if you guys go here, right? But right away, I think he's talking about watch less TV, read more books, right? Like that's kind of, I, I don't know, that's just where I go automatically. Watch less TV and instead read more like stuff that would be helpful, right? That's, that's kind of what I think he was going with. But what I want to do today is I want to take that phrase and go a little wider than that. I wouldn't say deeper because I think that this phrase is quite deep in and of itself and very important in and of itself. But what I want to do is I want to take it wider because I think what he was maybe also saying, my dad is the only one that knows, but I think that one thing that he might have been saying and and hearing from God is this, that consuming without thinking is much worse than reading, learning, growing, and considering what we need to get better. In other words... This Do you ever do that when you're watching TV? I'm not sure that I do either, but anyway. <laughs> it's just what I think of when I think of somebody laying back in their thing, right? And I just like scratch their belly. Yeah. I don't know why I get that. But that's what I get, right? Well, I think what my dad was trying to say is less more actively engaging, right? Less shut it down, more how can I keep getting better? In other words, it's not so much TV versus books, it's watching, passively consuming versus learning and growing right? That's kind of how I'm taking this. And so here's what I want to do. I want to put in three other phrases that I want to bring out that I think kind of are important to understand how and why it's important to watch less, read more. Or in other words, watch less, consume less passively, and engage with learning and growing and getting better intentionally, all right? So three other phrases that I want to offer. Number one, Watching is easier. Learning is harder. 
I think we need to recognize this and admit this right out of the gate, right? So I want you to imagine, uh, well, and you probably know this already, but we have done hundreds of studies as to what happens to a person's brain when we watch TV, for example. You guys probably figured this. Like, we've researched this. TV has been around for a while now, right? For many, many, many decades. And so we have done a lot of studies as to what happens in your brain when you watch TV. So I want to just share what one thing is very, very consistent. We've found this to be true every time a TV is turned on and we've tested somebody's brain. Every single time, this is what happens. What happens is they're filtering and bringing things into their brain, into the left side of their brain, and then when they turn the TV on, you know what happens? Your brain switches to the right side. You start using the right side of your brain. Your left brain kind of turns off, and your right brain kicks in when we turn the TV on. It's really weird. It has nothing to do with the buttons. We don't fully understand, but how we interact with the TV screen specifically. Now, I'm going to get to this. These, a little bit different. We don't interact the same way with this as we do with TV. Very interesting. And I'm going to get into that. But what we do is when we turn the TV on, it switches from left brain to right brain. Now, here's why that is important. Your left brain in a human being is your logic. It is your analyzing. It is your critical thinking. When you're trying to consider something, when you're trying to solve a problem, when you're trying to engage, when you're filtering and saying, is this true? Is this right? Is this good? You're using the left side of your brain. You're critically thinking about it. You're a critic of what's going on. The problem is, when we turn on the TV, it switches to our right brain. You know what your right brain is? Emotion. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the emotion side. This is where there's not as much filter. We're not thinking. We're not analyzing. We're not considering what's coming in to our heart, into our brain. We're just consuming it. Literally, and this is not a conscious thing. It's not like, oh, uh, hey, guys, I'm going to switch from my left brain to my right brain. Here we go. Right? No, we don't consciously do this. This is, this is just natural biology happening in our brain. Every human does it. You can't help it. It's what happens. And so why is that important? Well, let me ask you this. Which is harder to do? Watch TV or read a book? Which one's harder? Clearly reading a book is harder, right? It's harder to do. I don't know about you, but when I can do this, that's a little easier than opening, say, the Bible and engaging and finding out a little bit more who God is and who I am. This is way harder than turning on the TV. It's much easier to watch something, to consume something passively than engage. Uh, it's much easier to watch TV than work through a problem with my spouse. I love my wife, Laura, right? But sometimes when we have to work through something in the evening, I'm going to be honest, and she knows this. We've talked about this out loud, right? I would much rather turn on the TV than work through something with my wife, especially when it has to deal with me. <laughs> if the conflict centers around me, let's be honest, people, a lot of time it does. I don't want to deal with it. It's much harder to talk with her and work through the feelings and go through the things and talk about the stupid thing that I did or the stupid thing that I said 
several hours ago and we've been stewing about it and I, ah, we got to figure this out. I would much rather sit next to her and just act like everything's okay than work it out. But 99 times out of 100, usually, I'm thankful for this, her or I will call it out and we'll work it out. It's harder though. But let me ask you this. Learning, reading, engaging is harder for us. But let me ask you this question. When it comes to watching or consuming something, which is easier, or engaging and learning, which one is harder on you? Not harder for you, harder on you. Which one is more destructive to you? That's an important question, isn't it? The harder way is sometimes the best way. In fact, Jesus says this all the time, you realize. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about salvation. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about how do we grow spiritually? What's the direction that we should be going? And he makes this statement. You guys, probably some of you have heard this a hundred times. Some of you, this will be your first time ever hearing Jesus' words on this. He talks about heaven and hell. He talks about eternity and how difficult or how easy it is. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. By the way, that's him. Jesus is talking about himself. The highway to hell, I, I always think of the song at that point. Anybody else? It's messed up the scripture for me. Like I, I, all of a sudden I have a song running through my head, right? And I think, think grunge rock all of a sudden. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many, did you catch that? For the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Now, the question is, is Jesus saying, this, this is mistaken a lot, misunderstood a lot. A lot of people would read this and say, did God intentionally make the gateway to heaven small, hard to find, like hidden, like it's a hide and seek and be like, if you look hard enough, you'll find heaven, right? Is it like an Easter egg hunt? And the answer to that is no. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is the road to heaven following me, Jesus says, is much harder than just doing what you want to do. It's a lot harder. Jesus is saying, the way to follow me is more difficult. It's narrow. It's harder. Because, and it's more difficult. If you look at two pathways and you see a wide path going through a nice forested glade, and you see another path that's like this, and it's scary, and it's got cliffs, and it's got pitfalls, and, and it looks like, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of turns, and it's unknown. Like the broad path, you can see. I see where I'm going. I can look right down the hallway. I can literally see the other end of the building now. That's the first time I've done that from up here. That's cool. I can see the sign on the, on the door, right? Like this makes sense because you know why? Because I can see the path. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing, and I like what I see. What Jesus is saying is, it's harder to follow me. Which is why people find it to be narrow and not a lot of people take it. 
harder is quite often better. But it's hard to choose it, isn't it? So watching is easier, learning is harder. We have to acknowledge that reality out of the gate. All right, let's get to the second one. Watching is dangerous. Learning protects us. That may sound weird, but let me get into this a little bit. Let's dig into this. Watching is dangerous. Learning actually protects us. So we already talked about how right brain, it's kind of dangerous to be consuming that without critically analyzing it, right? But what happens when we consume TV? And now I want to expand our horizons when we pull out our phones, right? And we scroll social media, right? I pulled out my phone and literally four notifications came up. You know what I did right when I pulled it out? They popped up and then I started reading them while I'm trying to preach. I'm preaching here and my phone distracted me. Now it's because I pulled it out of my pocket. I get that. Right? What happens when you're on YouTube? What happens when you're on your phone? What happens when you're on the TV? All of those things. Well, what happens is it's actually dangerous and manipulative. Now, some of you don't believe me. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. That's not great as in he's awesome, but great as in he is pretty powerful. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, you might be saying, wow, you pulled a pretty intense verse out for TV and phones. <laughs> okay, here's what I, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your TVs and your phones and our social media are the devil, right? Do not say that. Don't say that to anybody because I'm not saying that. We are not planning a Northridge bonfire night where we all bring our electronic devices and we burn them and praise Jesus like we are going to be good because we burned the devil. No, I'm not suggesting that. I think that would be dumb. I, the TV is not the devil. Your phone is not the devil. Social media is not the devil. But I will say this. The devil and other people in this world are using them for great evil. No, I don't think we need to get rid of them. Yes, I think we need to diminish them and decrease them quite significantly. And the influence they have in our lives. Watching is dangerous. Learning protects us. Now, some of you might not believe this, but let me just tell you something. I'm going to make somewhat of a bold statement here. The things we're consuming are twisting your truth, your reality, your view of God, your view of yourself, and your view of life. I know this is true. Partly because I, I work with people all the time. But I also want to prove it to you. That they are going after you and they don't have your best interest in mind. Okay? I'm going to prove it to you. So, how many of you, I would like to he see hands on this. I don't think we're going to get many. How many of you have heard uh, uh, of a famous guy named Sam Parker? Anybody in here know who Sam Parker is? 
Okay, literally nobody. Okay, I, I, was, I, I was kind of expecting that, okay? I didn't know who he was until this week either, all right? So Sam Parker is a fairly actually well-known business guy in the business world, all right? Let me tell you who Sam Parker is. In fact, before I get to that, let me ask you this question. This will be kind of the disparity between the two. How many of you, by raising hands, have heard of Facebook? Anybody in here? All right, literally everybody except for a couple of people who are lying. Okay, so, so we're good, all right? So Facebook, you, we've all heard of Facebook. Nobody's heard of Sam Parker, right? Nobody in here knows who Sam Parker is. Everybody knows what Facebook is. Okay, so Mark Zuckerberg. Anybody heard of Mark Zuckerberg? All right, founder of Facebook. Everybody knows who Mark Zuckerberg is, right? Because he's the one that started Facebook, all right? Whether you like him or hate him, whatever, you know Mark Zuckerberg, he started Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg, according to Mark Zuckerberg, he says this about Sam Parker. He said, Sam Parker is the main person who took Facebook from being a fun college project to becoming a multi-billion dollar industry. He said, Sam Parker is the one that was, is, he's the guy that was responsible for it. Now, knowing that is important because what I'm about to tell you. Sam Parker, this is, I think, three years ago, there was an article where he was interviewed, and Sam Parker said what the main goal of Facebook was when they were first starting to form it. Okay? Here's what he said. He said, our main objective, our main goal was this. It was answering this question. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? You've been got. That was their goal. They succeed if they consume as much of your life. I would put the word life in there as possible. That's their goal. Now, catch this. I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. He goes on to say this. He says, what we did in... So they're trying to achieve this. This is Now he's going to tell us how they did it. Okay, you want to know how they get you? No, you don't, but you're going to anyway. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I, I know, I'm, I'm, re- I'm messing with some things today, but let me just tell you, this is what he said. He says, this is what we did to achieve that. He says, we created a social validation loop. You know what that is? What that means is they did whatever they needed to do to make you feel better about yourself so that you will click likes, get likes, comments, all this kind of stuff, and then you feel better. You're like, woo, I got noticed. You know what you're going to do? You're going to post again. And then we're going to post again. Then we're going to post again. And get it. Just understand, just so you guys know, I have a Facebook account. I'm on Facebook too. So I'm not railing against you guys and like, I'm not doing this. We're all in this same boat. And he says, we created a social validation loop. And then he says this. He said, this is exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself In other words, he knows what he's doing. He's tricking you. A hacker steals things. You know what they're stealing? They're stealing your life. They're stealing your time, your focus, your energy. He said, this is exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because, and then he gives a very true statement, a very bold statement. He says, because you're exploiting, manipulating a vulnerability in human psychology. 
In other words, they know how humans work and they've used it against you to make massive amounts of money. There's a reason you feel the need to scroll and check your likes and do all that stuff. It's a social validation loop. They know your psychology and they're using it against you. Now, you might be here. Some of you are thinking in the room, especially the younger ones in the room, and you're thinking Facebook is so 2010. I don't use Facebook because my parents are on Facebook. Or maybe you just don't like Facebook because it has gotten, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, slightly negative lately, recently. So there's a lot of people that have gotten rid of Facebook. Okay, so, okay. So a lot of people think that they might be off of this point. Let me just ask, how many platforms, how many devices in your life make money by consuming more of your focus and attention? Okay, let me just rail through some things. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, Hulu, Netflix. I could go on. That's just to name a few. Let me ask you this. Do you think that they don't ask the exact same question that Facebook asked? They do. There's a reason why we, there's a thing called binge watching, right? There's a reason we say, we turn on The Walking Dead and we're like, 12 sessions in, it's four in the morning, you go, I should go to bed. I look like The Walking Dead, but I, I just want more. Why? Because the next one's coming up right away, right? The next one's coming up. I've been watching Clone Wars. little side note from Star Wars with my kids. You know what happens? You know what? Every single time. Now, this is mainly so they can just stay up later. I know that. But Clone Wars ends, and the next one says, play next episode. Oh, yes. And then there's a picture, and then it says what's going to happen. And we're like, ooh, we're going to find out. So we've got to watch again. And then, and then what happens? We've got to watch again. It's like a drug right? Is it dangerous? Now, the question is, is it dangerous? Let me just prove to you that it's incredibly dangerous. So I was listening to a podcast this week, and uh, Dr. Gene Twenge was being interviewed. Isn't that a cool last name, by the way? Twenge. And she is a psychologist. She's a professor at San Diego State University. And what she does, literally this is her job, she studies generation, generational change. That's what she does. She studies change in generations and how the shifts in culture happen. She's done this for like 25 years. So she goes all the way back. To, she studied all the way back from before the boomers, all the way to, you know, Gen X, millennials, blah, blah, blah. And now Gen Z is the current um, generation people born after 1995. And what she said was interesting. She said this when she was being interviewed. She said in 2012, she said it was very specific, in the year 2012, an unprecedented shift happened in the generation, in generation Z. She said it was amazing. She said it was, it's never happened before. A massive change happened. We've never seen it before in, the, in human history since we've been measuring these things. She said what happened was, if you kind of track these things, like there's things that go up or they go down based on each generation, right? And she said in 2012, all of a sudden, positivity, self-esteem, uh, hope, and, and, you know, kind of basically this view of life and the future started going down. 
And she said it didn't start just kind of gradually. She said it dropped off a cliff. She said we've never seen it before. It was amazing. It was like the numbers just dropped into a bucket. It went off a cliff. She said it literally like it went off a cliff. And she said at the same time that number, that line was going down, positivity, self-esteem, all that kind of stuff, low self-esteem, depression, suicide, loneliness, and anxiety started trajectorying up in a huge way. In other words, these lines crossed. She said that's never happened before. The, the positivity, the, the self-esteem, it tanked, and this number, this line was going up. And by the way, just so we know, this is not Dr. Gene Twenge looking and, and thinking this is what's happening by saying, people seem kind of depressed lately. I think it's going up. No, these are the exact same questions every single year, national survey that's done in the United States every single year. They ask the same questions, and Generation Z, people born after 1995, they're the ones that have said this. This is how they're feeling. Parents, take note of this. This is important. Self-esteem. Tanking. Positivity. Tanking. Hope for the future. Tanking. At the same time, depression, suicide, loneliness, rising. And she said, this is very interesting. Usually it plateaus, it levels out when you get further into the generation. She said, it hasn't slowed down, it's just going up. It's getting really bad to the point where depression, anxiety, and suicide rates have doubled in less than 10 years. She said, we've never seen this, this is unprecedented. Now, here's why I bring this up. I know that this sounds like a downer. We're like, thank you for making us more depressed. <laughs> I think we need to face reality. I'm giving us a dose of reality today. She said, the psychologists, they've been looking at, like, what, why 2012? What happened? And it was right around 2012, if you look at this, they looked at world events, they looked at, you know, conflicts, wars, all the different things. And she said what they came to realize was that was when the shift was made where everybody adopted, whether, what, no matter what age you were, everybody has one of these. It's when this became normal, everyday use for literally everybody old to young, married, unmarried, no matter where you live in the world, you got to have one of these. When that happened, we became more connected in theory, but more lonely than we've ever been. Is it dangerous? I think my dad's words are some of the most important words that we're ever gonna hear. We need to stop watching and start engaging critically, intentionally. All right, let me give you one more phrase. Number three, watching binds us, learning frees us. I want to give you a quote. A lot of people don't know that this quote comes from the Bible. Uh, a lot of people, when I share this, we think of, um, well, let me read the, uh, the quote by Jesus. And a lot of people attach this to a movie. You're going to know right away when I say it, right? So Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and he says this about how truth 
works and why it's important. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. In other words, if you engage rather than watch. And you will know the truth, and then what does it say? We've heard this. And the truth will, what will it do? Set you free. Right? We've heard this played off in movies and other quotes and things like that, but a lot of people don't realize that they, you, we need to attest that to Jesus. And he's talking about the truth of who God is, the truth of God's word. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul takes this another, kind of another level. Colossians 3.10, he says this. He writes, put on, if you're becoming a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Become like Him. Becoming like, and by the way, I don't know if we know this, but those last three words, become like him, that kind of presupposes this understanding that we're not quite like him yet, right? The Apostle Paul did not say, realize that you are just like God, and then like awareness, woo, you're like God. Isn't that cool? No, he says, then when you know your creator, when you learn who God is, when you get connected to God, then you will learn to Become more like him. But it takes an active process, engaging, learning. So let me ask you this question. When you think about your life, your habits, your rhythms, in fact, we'll use the word rhythm, what rhythms in your life will help you learn and grow? Have you ever thought about that? What rhythms in your life will help you get better? What rhythms in life are going to give you peace? See, I don't know about you. Here, can I just be honest about it? I sometimes use the TV or phone as an escape mechanism from reality. I don't say that, right? I don't tell my family, hey, I'm going to escape you. And reality, I, I'm tired I love you guys, but I'm escaping, all right? Here we go. Right brain, good, right? And I think that we consider peace and watching TV to be the same thing. Let me just suggest to you, you're wrong. Again, I watch TV, guys. I, I hear you. Sometimes we just need a good recliner and... A stupid show. Right? One that you kind of think after a while, like, why am I watching this? Have you ever wondered that? I have. Usually later at night, the kids are in bed, and I'm sitting there going, I'm so tired. Go to bed, idiot, you know? <laughs> I, I, I'm talking to myself, right? I mean, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, duh. You're, this is pointless. And so I think that we have to ask the question, what rhythms in life, what habits, what things in life will bring us peace, will make us better, will make us more engaged, will make us more loving, more loved? I think we're living our life vicariously through other people instead of living ours. So I have this idea. Uh, it was actually a couple of weeks ago to improve, like to make a change in my life that would, you know, help me be better, 
right? Less screens, minimize the screens. Because again, I am not saying this, you could come away from this saying, throw your phone in the trash. Like the pastor said, it's dangerous. It's like the devil. Remember, I didn't say it's the devil. I said it's can be used by the devil, but it's not the devil. No, I'm not saying get rid of your phones. I'm not saying get rid of the TVs. Here's what I am saying. I think we have way too much time consumed with these. We need to minimize them. We all know it. Let's be honest. Can we be honest? We all know we need to do less of this. We all know we just have a hard time doing. Why? Because it's an escape from reality. It's easy. It's way easier to do this then interact and take my kids on a hike or go on a bike ride or whatever. They, it's easier to sit here and go, oh, ooh, I can open my chest now. It's been two hours. Anybody have those games? Notifications? Hey, you have another gym. Yay. Who cares? Social validation, Right? So here's the idea that I had, uh, because I don't know about you, but I use my phone as my alarm, All right? I'm just curious. I'm not digging in. I just told you. I admitted I use my phone for, how many of you use your phone as your alarm? I'm just, just curious how many of you in here do that. Okay, quite a few of you. Some of you are not willing to admit. Some of you don't. Okay, cool. Um, awesome. I love it. So I use my phone as my alarm. In fact, this last Christmas, I purchased a device where it uh, charges with my phone sitting up so that I don't even have to actually grab the phone and pick it up to look at it anymore. Talk about the epitome of laziness, right? It sits here like this so I can just look over and go, tap, oh, yes, I got another half an hour. I do that all the time, right? Now, here's my thought. I need to go buy an alarm clock. I need to buy an alarm clock and put it next to my bed so that I don't have my phone next to my bed and I'm going to find a different place to put my phone that's not, maybe not even in the bedroom. Okay? Now, I had this idea two weeks ago. I was like, man, that would just be healthy. That would just be good. And there's a couple reasons, right? Blue, it's very clear. Studies have shown blue light on a screen tricks your brain into thinking it's daytime. Right? You've heard this probably, right? And so you have a harder time falling asleep. And then even when you fall asleep, because your brain, your heart, your psychology knows there's a phone right there, you get less sleep, less better sleep than if the phone was not there. I'm just telling you, this, they've tested this. This is true. It's just reality. So I need to get rid of my phone. So I thought I need to buy an alarm clock and get rid of my phone and put my phone somewhere else, at least at nighttime, right? Just separate it from me. So then I'm listening to this podcast by Dr. Jean Twenge, right? I just like saying her last name, right? And the question was asked, well, what do you think we should do to help this generation and help just our society diminish this? She said, well, little practical things. She said, and then she said this out loud. She said, buy an alarm clock. I was like, yeah, that's smart. That's a great idea. And seriously, it was like God said, okay, I gave you the idea two weeks ago. You haven't done it. So here's, there's two reasons I'm telling you. One, I think it could spark some good ideas for you to make some changes in your life. Because I think you do. I do too. Two, I want you to hold me accountable to it. I'm making it public. In a couple of weeks, I want some of you to ask me, seriously ask me, did you get an alarm clock? Where's your phone? Where do you put your phone tonight? I seriously, I want you to ask me. You know why? 
because I'm going to do it because I'm going to be embarrassed if you say that and I'm like, oh, well, I've had a hard week. It was kind of busy. I do not want to backtrack in front of anybody in my congregation. Ask me. Seriously, ask me. If we get to September and I haven't gotten an alarm clock and I haven't made this change, you should call me out. Hold me accountable. I should live according to what I say. And so we all should. So the question that I have is, is there a change that you can make that will lead to a lifetime of change? What's one change that you can make that could lead to a lifetime of change for you? So you remember that list? Those of you that wrote it down, get it out. Those of you that have it in your head, think about it. And let me ask you this question. And then I'm going to kind of move on a little quicker. We're going to wrap up. We're going to land the plane. Think about the most important aspects of your life. Who is it? What is it? What would you say? These are the top five things. Top five people, top five whatever. Now let me ask you this. If you want to do the best that you possibly can at growing in that area, building that relationship, investing in that most important thing or things, activities, habits, I want to ask you this question. If you want to get better in those things, does any of that answer include watching more TV, scrolling more social media, vegging out on Pinterest or YouTube? My guess is no way. We all know the answer to that. We need to minimize what we're watching and we need to start engaging more. Let's pray. Lord, help us to seek truth more than just consume entertainment. Lord, help us to help us to invest in people rather than stare at screens. Help us to love more deeply rather than settle for surfacy. Lord, help us to stop just watching life happen and instead start living it. We've allowed other people, other things to steal our time, our focus, our energy, 
and even in many cases, our faith. We've given up the truth or allowed the truth to be twisted rather than do the hard work of learning what the truth really is. Help us to follow you. Help us to serve you. Help us to engage with you, God. And help us to simply watch less and learn and read and grow and engage more. We ask this and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.